Ephesians is born. It's this church, and he spends a couple of years there, and he, he works with them. He's building community. He's discipling. He's telling them what it really means to follow Jesus, what it means to surrender their life to Jesus, what it means to live into the purpose of Jesus. So through a, a couple of twists and turns in Paul's life, Paul ends up back in Rome. But he doesn't end up back in Rome on his own will. He ends up back in Rome in prison. And so while he's in prison, chained to a wall, he decides, you know what, I need to continue to encourage these bodies of people, these churches that I've planted. I need to, to reach out and see how they're doing and encourage them and let them know, hey, it's going to be okay. I know that you're probably living in a time of theological confusion and you're worried about persecution and are we even going to be able to exist? Are we going to get killed in our, and drug out into the streets in our homes? I mean, what's going on? And so he says, let me sit down and pin some things. So he pins some letters. And so he pins a letter to this place called Philippi. And so that's Philippians, and, he, and he, he pins a letter to Colossae, and that's Colossians, and he pins a, a letter to a guy named Philemon, and he also pins a letter to this church that he loves in Ephesus known as Ephesians. And what I love about this and why I wanted to start here is there's, there's no agenda to this letter. Paul's not dealing with a major issue. He's not saying, listen, there's some things I've noticed or I've heard about that need to be fixed. He says, I just really want to kind of open the gates up. I want to encourage you. I want to urge you. As he says, I want you to continue to live into the blessing that God has given you. And so the hinge verse actually is not verse 1, 2, 3. The hinge verse to this entire letter, the hinge verse to our life even, comes in chapter 4. And you got to remember there weren't, there weren't chapters and verses when he just wrote a letter like you and I would write a letter. So about halfway through this letter, Paul says, let me tell you what it is that matters most. Let me encourage you into something. And here's what he says. He says, I urge you in chapter 4 to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Paul says, I want to encourage you. I want to urge. I want to almost beg. I want to plead with you that in the midst of times of confusion, in the midst of not knowing how you're going to make ends meet, on the, on the verge of maybe emotional, spiritual breakdown, on the verge of being persecuted, on the verge of these things, can I urge you to remember to live life in a way that matters. Live life into what? The calling, the purpose that you received. And what I love about what Paul says here, he says, it's already there. Just like old man Yates's oil, it's there. He says, not in order to receive it. He says, in which you've received. It's already there, whether you realize it or not, Paul says. And Paul says, listen, it's not one of those things. If you keep working at it hard enough, it'll come. And he says, no, the purpose is already there. It's in place. All you've got to do is uncover it, discover it. And so here's the introduction back to chapter 1. And guys, this is one of the best introductions to a letter I'm going to guess was ever written. It's by far the best introduction of any of his letters that was written. And what you need to understand in, in the Greek language here, what I'm about to read to you was one kind of run-on sentence. Now, we've broken it down into sentences and, and paragraphs, but it's almost like when Paul picks the pen up and when he starts, if you go back and look in the original, he just, it's one big run-on thought. It's like he can't get it out fast enough. And there's so much in this that we're not going to be able to cover it all today, but I'm going to give you a couple of main themes. But just, just listen to this. I'm going to put it on the screen, but just listen to what Paul says right out of the gate to these people that he wants to encourage to live into this life. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus by the will of God, 
To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy, to be blameless in his light. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given to the ones who love. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of his sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good purpose, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we are chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will in order that we who are the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you were included in Christ when you heard the message of faith, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, he says, you were marked with him by seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. Because there's so much in there. And so to get through this morning, Chris said we'd be here a couple hours. If you're new here, we're not going to be here a couple hours. But I want to break this into three things that you can chew on the rest of the week. And I want to encourage you to start today in Ephesians 1 and just read those. You, you saw right there, it took me 90 seconds to read that. Just read through that. Let it soak and, and see what God shares with you throughout the week. But these are three things that just kind of popped out to me. And I think they're images. That, and then when we begin to lock these images together, I think they are images that stretch our minds to consider not just the greatness of God. Because that, that's really what it's about. It's a showcase of who God is. But it's not going to just stretch us to who, understand the greatness of God, but it's going to help me understand the riches of his grace and his plan for me. So here we go. Verses 3 through 6, which I'm not going to reread again. But here's what I get from this. That God is a blessing God. That God is a God who in his deepest sense of character, in his characteristics, is a blessing God. God. He loves to bestow. In fact, the text says he loves to lavish us with these rich blessings. We have been blessed so much. In fact, do you realize this? You can't be any more blessed by God than you already are. By definition, he can't bless you anymore because he's already given you the ultimate thing. Now, there are blessings that can come along But he has blessed us with Jesus. He has given us the ultimate thing. He says, listen, I want to do the ultimate act of of kindness, the ultimate act of love. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you Jesus for some things. I'm going to allow you to, 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 to be included in this through Jesus. And there's two words in this text that tells me all I need to know in order to have full confidence that he has blessed me. You ready for this? Two words, and they're simple. He says, listen, if you want to know that you are fully blessed, here it is, he chose. He chose. He chose. And I love that he hooks this to something. If you keep reading, it says that he chose us. 
He chose you. And then he says, it's just like, or he says, it's like that of adoption. Guys, I think the, the sense of adoption is the most beautiful imagery there could be about my relationship with God. I have a couple of cousins who, who were, were adopted as, as infants. And one in particular, as he got into like kindergarten, first grade, was really having a hard time because they, they didn't hide the fact that they were adopted. Uh, they just kind of let that be known from day one. And so when he gets to school, kids are kids, and so they began to pick on him because he was adopted. And so he brings this home to his mom, and his mom, in, in doing what moms do, consoles him and says, well, listen, you need to understand something. We got to choose you. We chose you. Now, what she didn't anticipate was him going back to school and going, hey, my parents chose me. They don't like you. <laughs> so she got a call and had to go to the school and go, no, that's not what I was trying to communicate. You know, their parents love them too, but we chose you. Can you just let that sink in for a second? Let this wash over you for a second. That God creator, God all-powerful, chooses you. He chooses you. That he made it possible for you to not just be chosen, but to become family. To become family. That you become a, a son of God. Or you become a, a daughter of God. Not one time, if, if, G, if God was lining us all up, he would go, I choose you. I, I, I pick you. I want you. Through Jesus, I've made it possible for you to be chosen, to be picked, to be selected. And I love verse 5 says that he takes pleasure in that. There's not a moment when God goes, I, I guess, come on. It says that he takes pleasure in it according to his will, meaning that he desires this. It's a part of his plan. He doesn't do it begrudgingly. He does it with great joy. Verse 6 says that he freely gives this, this, this grace, and it's all part of the choosing. He says in verse 7, he says, and, and it's, he's just going to lavish it on us. He's going to smear it all over us because he chooses you. And being chosen is a blessing because God is a blessing God. Being chosen is a gift of grace that's rich and it's free. But here's why this is so important and why I'm making such a big deal out of this out of the gate. That being chosen tells me who I am. It is a marker of my identity. So in these moments when I navigate life and go, listen, I don't really know who I am. Let me tell you who you are. You're chosen. You're chosen. And you have been chosen to be a son or daughter of God. You are chosen. And being chosen is such a, a fundamental place for us to begin. And so if you're new to faith, can I just tell you that you need to start at this place where Paul starts this letter and helping to understand who you are and you are chosen. And it doesn't matter what you drug in here. God still chooses you. And it doesn't matter how long you've been away. God chooses you. And that's all part of this blessing. It's all part of who he is. But he goes next level. 
The second thing that, that Paul kind of unveils in this intro to this, to this letter is this, verses 6 through 8, and I think this may be the most amazing part of the text, is this, is that God's blessing doesn't stop when I blow it. He's a redeeming God. He's not just a blessing God. He is a, a rescuing God. He's a redeeming God. It says that we have been, we have been redeemed through Christ. See, human nature says this, I'll scratch your back if you what? Scratch mine. I will what? Be good to you if you be good to me. Or I'm good with you as long as you're good to me. And God says, I don't work that way. God says, I don't operate that way. He says, even when your sin, even when your mistakes harm creation, God says, I'm still going to pursue you. Through Jesus, I'm going to pursue you. I'm still going to try to position myself or position someone around you in order that you can understand that I still love you and I'm still out to redeem you. I'm still out to rescue you. I'm still out to save you. God is looking to dole out redemption to the very things and the very ones who harm even. And he does all this through Jesus. Paul says, well, then let's celebrate redemption in Christ. He says, not only does it make you whole, but it unifies everything else. He says, through this is what... He uses to unify all things. He says it's through this redemption that he makes things new. It's January. We love the thought of making things new. We love the thought of making our bodies new. We love the thought of eating new food. We love the thought of creating new rhythms and waking up at a new time. We love this. And he says, listen, through Jesus, through this redemption, through God being a blessing God, but also God being a redeeming God, he's going to make things whole. And he's going to start with you. And then he's going to use you to begin to permeate out and beginning to make other things whole. Where there's fragments, you begin to piece back together and he begins to unify. And that redemption, that release, that rescue, that freedom, that healing, that making new allows us to live in what Paul concludes. He says, you get to live into your purpose. See, 11 through 14, he's going to address the purpose. He says, now that we've kind of addressed who you are and how it is that God's blessing you through not just identity but through redemption, he says, now all of a sudden can I encourage you? Can I urge you into something? Can I tell you what life is really all about? And he spells it out, and here it is. He, he says, you exist for the praise of God's glory. I don't know if we know this or not, but life's story is not about me. It's not about you. See, life's story is about God. And while the story is about God, what I love about God is this. He says, but you get to be included in it. I'm not just going to rule from some place far off and dictate what you do. No, I'm going to invite you into what it is that I'm, I'm doing. I'm going to invite you into these moments where I'm reconciling and I'm rescuing people. I'm going to invite you into these moments. I'm going to allow you to dig under the surface. Because there's a, a, a great deal of wealth. He says, so in this, he says, you're invited into the story. You're giving purpose in the story. You're giving a part. You, ha you have been given a key role. He says, you were chosen. You were set apart. You were redeemed. But you were done. All of that happened for a reason, for a purpose. And it's this, so that we slowly or quickly, step by step, inch by inch, we begin to understand and live into what it means to live into the glory of God, the glory and praise. Guys, I used to think this was a Sunday thing, that valuing worship service, what we do here and what we grew up doing. I, I grew up doing it four times a week, 
But I used to think that that was the indicator of am I praising God enough meter. So if, you know, if you go to church and you do what you're supposed to do, the meter would kind of tick over like you're doing enough, you're doing enough, you're good. And I remember hearing things like this growing up. The hour you spend worshiping on Sunday is the most important hour of the week. Can I tell you guys something? While I believe that what happens on Sunday morning is, and hear this, crucial and valuable and important, I don't believe that's fully or entirely what Paul is referring to when he says that we live into the praise and the glory of God. I don't think Paul's saying that the indicator of that is how many times you attend service. He says, now, If you choose to live into that, he addresses this in some other ways. Choose to live into this gathering because that gathering is is transformational as well. That gathering is where you're going to experience not just the spirit, but you're going to experience people in that and community in that. But he says, listen, it doesn't only happen in this setting at this time in this place. And what I'm learning is this. I'm learning that everything I do every day, every moment should point to the glory and the praise of God. Because that's why I was designed. So let me break it down. Guys, my patience in traffic, and I hate traffic. And this place has become a cesspool for traffic. Guys, I'm going to tell you, yesterday at, at, at one, or Friday at 1 o'clock in Goodlitz, we're in Goodlitzville for goodness sake. It took me, I live two miles from my office. It took me 28 minutes to get to my office, and I'm going, it is 1 o'clock in Gulletsville. And I'm, I, my car was in the shop, so I'm sitting with a Lyft driver. And she's like, is it always like this up here? And I just kind of spewed, and I caught myself. Am I living for the glory and the purposes of God? <laughs> and then I thought to myself, she's about to drop me off at Wellhouse offices, which you can't miss because the sign is ginormous. I thought, and I just, I just stopped, and I said, so what's going on in your life? And we just had a conversation. I thought, you know, I'm just going to live into the, and she's probably like, oh, gosh, it's 28 minutes with this dude. But um, I'm stuck in traffic. Or here's one. When you get behind somebody in Walmart and they write a check. Now, if you're a check writer at Walmart, it's 2019. Come, come find me. If you'll come back to respond, I will teach you how to use a debit card. Or any, but, but am I living into when I'm in a hurry? Like, all I did was come in here to, you know, grab some Coke, and all of a sudden, man, this person's writing a check. I mean, what in the world? Didn't even know they made those. This section over here probably doesn't even know what a check is. Am I living into the glory and the purposes and the praise of God? about your patience with your family? We're coming off a season where I know some of you had some rough moments and patience ran thin. How about with your coworkers, who, let's just be honest, can be idiots sometimes. Now, you got it all together, but they, on the other hand, am I living into what? The glory and the praise of God. See, it's not just what happens in this hour. How about the way we view those who aren't like me, never were and never will be? Do I view them? Do I treat them as creations of God, made in the image of God, who, by the way, are also chosen, who are set apart, who are worthy and being pursued 
and maybe for all you know have already been redeemed. Do I live for the glory and praise of God? The words I speak about the fringes and about the margins and the difference and the oppression. Can I just tell you, the words you speak matters. I'm going to open up another can. The words we don't speak matter too. Sometimes the things we don't say. The, the, the words that we speak into people's lives, but also the words we speak in defense of people's lives. Those are a part of living into the glory and the praise of God. The things I post on Facebook and Instagram, social media, the things I, I watch, the things I look at, the things I obsess over. Am I living into? Those are indicators. Am I living for the glory and the praise of God? The capability and the power that it takes to give when the world says take. Do I find myself seeking to contribute when everything in me says consume? Rake in, take all that's yours, you get yours. Are those things living into the glory, the praise of God, the ability to listen, the ability to show compassion, to extend sympathy and empathy that drives relationships? Am I living into the glory and the praise of God, the willingness to pursue, to get this, guys, this is a big one, because I know this is on some of your New Year's resolutions list. The willingness to pursue or invite forgiveness to the table first. I'm very careful the way I phrase that. The willingness to invite forgiveness to the table first without being asked for it. Or without a guarantee that it's going to be returned to the table. The fact that you can bring forgiveness into a situation or relationship first. It's an indicator of am I living into the glory and the praise of God. See, guys, there are things that far exceed and extend what happens in this hour. But all of these things, Paul says, point to the glory and the praise of God, who, by the way, is the author of those things, and who, by the way, displays and showcases every single one of those things in the fact that he chose me. I'm telling you, God has had to exemplify some major patience with me. And there were times that I sought to, and there are times I still do, through my choices, harm, creation. And there are moments that I'm different. And what if God didn't allow those things to be a part of my story, the things that I don't always extend and allow to be a part of other people's story? And God says, listen, live into the purpose Live into the glory and the praise. See, the divine story, God's story, becomes my story. And it shapes my primary identity and my purpose. And when we begin to lean into our identity, this chosenness, and all that it brings with it, and we're going to learn, like Paul's going to really lay out some really cool things in Ephesians. He says, listen, there's some things that all this, this is just the intro, there's some things that this brings with it. He said, something amazing is going to begin to open up. And here's the bottom line for the day, if you don't remember anything else. When we see ourselves differently, we begin to live differently. And so I want to spend 2019 living differently 
And the way that's going to start is by seeing myself differently and seeing God differently and seeing how it is that he has authored the story and how I'm invited into that story. And that, that story, his story, begins to determine my primary purpose. As we land today, I just want to tell you a quick story. I'm going to, about just living and pursuing different things as a result of how I saw myself or see myself now. I'm going to rewind you back to when I was in seventh grade, which was a long, long time ago. I had an experience that gave me a complex that lasted for quite a while. And I wonder sometimes if it still kind of shows and rears its head from time to time. But it happened in gym class. I'd moved to a new school, and I was seventh grade, and, you know, that's always, that's such a tough year anyway. And I'd moved from Tennessee back to Kentucky, so my life story is born in Kentucky, went to Tennessee, moved back to Kentucky, and that's where I kind of spent my junior high and high school years, and then back to, to Nashville. And if you're not from Kentucky, you may not completely realize this, and you people from Tennessee think this is true about you now, but it's not. But basketball is king. And so here I am as a seventh grader, and everybody plays basketball during gym class. I had never really played basketball. I'd grown up playing baseball. And so I decided that, you know what, I'm going to kind of hop in and do this. And, and what you need to know about my seventh grade me is a lot hasn't changed. I was a husky seventh grader. And so I remember kind of getting in the line and, you know, the two captains that had hit a shot were picking and choosing. And it got down to me and another guy, and they didn't know me, so I, I get why they didn't choose me. And then when I began to play, I really understood why they didn't choose me. But I remember standing there with another guy who in my mind I looked at and said, I've got to be better than this dude. And I remember the captain said, I guess I'll take him. But he didn't point at me. And so I waddle over to the team that didn't want me, obviously, and I began to make sure that I made no mistakes. I didn't even shoot that game. Pulled down a rebound, made sure I took a pass. Because that moment stuck with me. It followed me home. So as soon as I got home, I, I went to work. My dad had put up a basketball goal in the backyard, and, and I just went to work. I shot, and I shot, and I shot, and I shot, and I shot. I dribbled and I dribbled. I'd moved out because it was in a grassy spot, and I'd move over to the sidewalk, and I'd dribble with my right hand, and then I'd dribble with my left hand. And that became my routine. I did it till dark. I never wanted to feel what I felt that day again. And my thought was this. I don't always have to be picked first, but never again do I want to be picked last. And that was my new routine for years. Every day, I'd get home. And I'd shoot, and I'd shoot, and I'd shoot, and I worked, and I worked, and I worked, and I worked, to the point that I wore down like a grass spot in my backyard. I found myself going over to a nearby park as a seventh grader, eighth grader, and I'd play, and I, I did this over and over and over and over. All I did was obsess over basketball for years. I'd play anybody, anywhere, anytime, but I never had the confidence to take the next step. I never had the confidence to, to step up and play organized because of my fear of not being picked again. 
So we made a couple moves and, and ended up in a new school kind of east from there. And, and all of this came to head my junior year. I had spent some time getting to know some guys in the, in the fall. And, and uh, again, man, I, I, we had just unloaded the, the truck. And I'm like, I got to find a place to play basketball. And so that's what I did. And, and so I got to know some guys. But I had worked and I felt, you know what, I'm I'm ready. I knew everybody that was on the school team, and, and I just knew that this, this, this was going to be it. And so I decided to take the plunge and try out for the basketball team. And guys, in that course of three days, I kept a running tab of stats in my mind. There was a guy named Ben who had been kind of the starting center at that time, and he, had, you know, he grew up there, he was from there, and he had been with the team, you know, freshman, sophomore, junior. And I remember keeping stats, but I didn't just keep mine, I kept his. And at the end of three days, I, I knew that, you know what, I had done enough. I had ran circles around this guy. I had out-rebounded him. I had outshot him. My percentages were I knew. I knew this was it. At that time, you, you never would believe this. I was more athletic than him. I knew this was it. And so I remember the end of day three going into the morning of day four. And I remember going to the coach's office where he had posted the list and quickly glanced down and noticed that my name wasn't on the list. So I remember asking the coach, I knocked on the door, and I said, Coach, I don't get it. Can you, can you just walk me through what I need to do different, what I need to do better? You know, I mean, I outscored your starting center for the last two years. I don't get it. And what he told me, he said, Jason, he said, it's not anything personal. He said, but Ben has been with us this whole time. I just don't have another spot in your position, I'm sorry. And I walked into my house that afternoon to a house full of people, my sister, my mom, my dad, and I've never felt so alone. I never felt so isolated. I never felt so undeserving. And thank God that I had good parents who understood what life really was about because God had shown them some years before what he was about to show me. And I remember my dad sitting down and saying something like this. He said, Jason, being a basketball player is just meant to be fun. But it was never meant to define who you are. God has a different plan for you and has chosen you for something better. Now, that didn't help the moment. I was like, Dad, you're out of your mind. You don't understand. I, I played ring and... and but that set the foundation for something. Because needless to say, I'm a pastor in Goodlettsville, so basketball didn't take off. And I never got chosen, but as time developed and that faith and what my dad told me began to develop, I no longer question whether or not I'm chosen. And when I began to see myself differently, that my identity wasn't in basketball playing. I grew up in a culture in a high school where the starting basketball players, because I was in Kentucky and basketball's king, guess what? The starting basketball team was king. And that's what I wanted. That's who I thought I was designed to be. But when I began to see myself differently, I began to not just live differently, but I began to live for different things. And so can I just tell you as we start this series, God chooses you. And I don't want you to question that. And you may not even know what that means completely. But I want you to know, first and foremost, every single time, he chooses you. 
And you don't have to work yourself until dark, shooting to your arms sore in order to be chosen. You realizing that you've been chosen is what makes you better. It's what makes you whole. It's what gives you purpose. And I love that God does it with great joy. Unlike the guy who looked and said, I guess I'll take him. God says, no, 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 no. They're mine. I choose him and I choose her. I choose them every single time.